Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. As we get back into this, we it's been a few weeks, so we had last week off and then the Christmas message before that. And so what I wanted to do is just kind of go back through those intro slides just at the beginning, just to remind everybody and, and get everybody back in the mindset of where we are in Revelation and what we're getting into. But as we close the book, in the next two weeks, we're going to finish it next Sunday. As we close it, I do want to just pray the blessing from Revelation 1 over us as we continue to study this. Anyone that's at home listening, anyone that's here in this room listening, let's just go to the Lord real quick. Lord, we just thank you so much for this time together. And Lord, we do have the author himself indwelling in us as the temple of God right now. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that your anointing would teach us all things. And Lord, we do pray the blessing from Revelation 1 over this study as we continue to bring it to a close that we started almost a year ago now. Lord, we are just praying that blessing that blesses he who reads and he who hears the words of this prophecy. And Lord, we thank you for that promise in your book that you are blessing us as we've studied it the richness of it, to understand the depth of your word, Lord. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the revelation, remember, it's literally the unveiling of Jesus Christ, of who he is for all eternity. That's what the word revelation in the Greek means, apocalypsis. It's the unveiling, and we're continuing to study it, it, and I say this all the time, but it is the most incredible book of the entire Bible, because if you study it right, It will take you into every other book of the Bible. And it really lays out who is Jesus for all eternity. Who is he? He has the authority. He's the one that the world is accountable to. He's the one that the world wants to run from, though, which is amazing. So the world is accountable to the one that they really want nothing to do with. And it's the book which really is the culmination of all things. It's everything that we get to look forward to in Jesus And again, the entire book is about redemption. It's all about redemption. And so don't lose sight of that as we wrap up and close out the book that everything we're reading in chapter 22 is the redemption of how God wanted it at the beginning in Genesis. And it's the restoration of us with him is really what we're going to get to study opening up today. So again, it's the only book of the Bible that promises a blessing. Revelation 1-3 Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. And then it's also the only book that gives its own divine outline from verse 19. Write the things which you've seen, the things which are, and the things which will be hereafter. So the things which John had saw at that point was the unveiling of Jesus in his glorified state from chapter 1. The things which are are the seven letters to the seven churches, chapters 2 and 3. And the things hereafter, after the church age, after the church closes, what happens? And that's what Revelation 4 verse 1 starts is the rapture and then on. And it's the unveiling of who our king really is as ruler and conqueror. 
And so there's that outline, chapter 1, chapter 2, and 3, and then 4 through 22. And four things are corrected in the book that are out of place right now. The church will be back in our rightful home, which is heaven. Israel will be back in its rightful home, the land God promised them in Genesis. Jesus will be on his rightful throne, the throne of David, ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. And all evil will be bound and ultimately cast into their rightful home, the lake of fire. So you have this whole book resetting everything. And remember, we went through those three sets of judgment, the the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls, each one with that parentheses in between, chapters or uh, the sixth and the seventh. And I put on the slide, I added something this weekend, but the seven thunders. If you remember that, the seven thunders, thunders uttered their voices, and John was about to write, but God stopped him from writing it. And I've always wondered what those are. Those could be seven additional judgments that God doesn't want declared. So there may actually be 28. We don't really know what's there, but just something neat to think about. And there's that parentheses between each of the sixth to the seventh. So the final six chapters of the Bible, I, I sarcastically refer to as the Great Reset, because that's literally what it is. It's God resetting everything. There's Mystery Babylon, the Duma Babylon, the King of Kings, stepping foot on the earth for the second time, the millennium, the new heaven and earth, and then finally the closing promises from chapter 22, which is what we're wrapping up today. Chapter 22 is the final word from the Lord. It's the final promises for his people, literally the culmination of everything that we have to look forward to, promises of everything restored that was lost in Eden, all the way back from Genesis 3 with the usurper, the enemy, And so here we're going to get to see the continuation from chapter 21 was the new Jerusalem coming down. Well, chapter 22 picks up describing what that is is like. It's a continuation, really, from chapter 21. But every strategy, every move by God, every reaction by the enemy, every attempt to keep us from our creator, it's really all put to rest here. And so this is God's final say on all of it. So it... It's going to be an amazing, amazing chapter to close out this study with. And it opens up, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And so again, it's this, there's this pure river of water of life in the new city, the new Jerusalem. And of course, anytime you hear about the river of fountains of living water, you should think of John 4 and John 7 and what Jesus said. So John 4, 10 through 14, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now we all remember this is the woman at the well, and Jesus is coming to her. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou the living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself? Which is interesting because Jacob also drank from the living water, the God of us, the God of the universe, and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So then John 7, 37 through 39, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, 
If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And think about this. It's amazing. We've always often thought about, Randy and I were talking about this this weekend, we've often thought about Jesus as the living water, but he's really the fountain of living water. And so the fountain, the Holy Ghost pouring out of him as the living water. And so when he was crucified and they stuck that spear in his side and that blood and the water came out separate, I've always thought that was amazing that the blood representing the sacrifice, but the water representing the Holy Spirit, the giving of it, which was given after he was crucified, obviously, and then ascended into heaven. Remember, he said, I must leave so the comforter can come. So on verse 1, it's amazing that in the Old Testament, Jesus actually declares his name as the living water. So look at this in Jeremiah 2, 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and heaved them out cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. And so what Israel was doing was they were trying to put water into a broken cistern, into a vessel that couldn't contain it. And they, would, and they instead rejected the one that could give them living water eternally. And I love that the Lord uses the same name of himself all the way back in Jeremiah twice. In Jeremiah 17, 13, O Lord, the house of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. And there's that name there. And so who is the fountain of living waters? We know that's Jesus. So Jesus is literally talking in Jeremiah about how they've rejected him, the one that could have made it so that they'd never thirsted again. Verse 2, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It's amazing that even in what we think of eternity, God is saying the tree of life is going to yield fruit every month in its season. So there's still time somehow there. Somehow there's still at least a recognition of time or seasons, and there's apparently 12 of them, 12 months like we have today, which is just incredible to think about. I don't know how we're going to gauge all of that because there's no more sun, there's no more moon. It's just Jesus as the light of the world. But the tree of life, it's established all the way back in Genesis, and man then loses access. So in Genesis 2.9, And out of the ground made the Lord to, to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, you all remember God said, okay, of that tree you cannot eat, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He never said you couldn't eat of the tree of life. But they then go and eat of the tree Remember, Eve was deceived, so she said, he said, don't eat of it or touch it. That's not what the Lord said. He said, don't eat of it. He never said not to touch it. And so she added to God's word, and thus all of us fell with her, all of mankind. But in Genesis 3.22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God would not, the parentheses is my addition, 
God would not let man become immortal in a fallen, unredeemed state. That was the point. So man had fallen. He was, he was, he basically put on mortality. He was mortal at that point. He was going to die. He was in a fallen state. But if he got to the tree of life, he would have lived that way forever. And so God was not going to allow that because then we couldn't be born again, have redeemed bodies, and live, and live in a glorified state with Jesus. So in the next verse, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So I love how his punishment for, for this is, okay, now put your hand to work and get out of here. I've got to guard this thing and block it off. So in verse 24, so he drove them out, the man, he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims. Now remember, cherubim is plural in the Hebrew, so that's a typo in the King James. It should not have an S. And a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So number one, why a cherub? You know, an angel would have been fine probably. Um, Angels are incredibly powerful, killed 185,000 Syrian soldiers one night. They do things that defy physics, but why a cherub? Well, Lucifer was a cherub, and so God is putting something of, I guess, equal rank, you could think, to guard that, that way to the tree of life so that Lucifer could not get to it either and take it. So he's guarding it with a cherub. So what is a flaming sword? You know, when you really think about this, I remember when I, when I first read this, when I first started reading through the Bible cover to cover every year, 12 years ago now, my note, in my notes, I wrote down every question. I've shared this a lot with you guys, but I wrote down every question I had when I started. My question on this one with the flaming sword was, was it, what the note I wrote down was, is it a volcano? Was it lava? Was it some kind of flaming sword? But after I've grown in the word and thought about this more and more, that clearly was not what God is talking about here. Because how many of you can get to the tree of life right now? You know, I think none, right? <laughs> Nobody can get there. Because God at the fall literally fractured those dimensions. So he fractured the dimensionality and he placed a cherub at it where only the other cherub could access. That was the point. The other cherub, Lucifer, could come and go from heaven. We see that in Job. You see that all over the Bible. In Luke, when he takes Jesus to tempt him, he could come and go. So he had to guard the way from him. And for man, he just kicked us out of Eden and fractured the dimensions. So whatever that flaming sword is, it's some kind of angelic technology, right, that they're using to fight Lucifer with and his enemies or his fallen angels. And I think that's amazing that you get a hint of that right at the very beginning in Genesis 3. So in verse 3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So how is the curse reversed? I love, in our previous video, intro video we had, it talked about the the curse being reversed. So how was that? Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So Jesus became our Passover lamb and was made a curse on our behalf. And because of that, that curse was nailed to a wooden cross in Judea almost 2,000 years ago. And one died for all so that all through one might live. And what I love is that 
God is, is literally saying there is no more opportunity for you to sin here. The curse is gone. It's gone away with. No more curse here. Now, look at the end of this verse, though. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. So are there two thrones in the New Jerusalem? It just seems like maybe there's a hint, the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. So there's two. There's the Father's throne. There's Jesus' throne. And then obviously the Trinity is there because the river of living water, the Holy Spirit pouring out of it. So the Trinity is dwelling there in some regard, which is pretty cool to think about. I don't know if we're going to get to go back and forth from there to, to a new heaven and the cities over the new earth. A lot, a lot to speculate on and dream about. In verse 4, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. So remember, if you are saved, you are sealed by Jesus, the man clothed in linen. Now, if you think about it, and we've talked about this before, but the mark of the beast in the tribulation is, God, is Satan's counterfeit to the mark, to God's mark on us, his sealing of us. Remember from the Passover, you would mark it on your hand or forehead between your eyes. And then here in Ezekiel, we're going to read these verses, is the man clothed in linen coming forth and marking the foreheads of people that are saved. And so the mark of the beast, it's all just a counterfeit. It's everything Satan has done from the beginning has been nothing more than a counterfeit. But that's what it is. The mark of the beast is to try to counterfeit the sealing of God's people. And this is the sealing of Satan's people. So in Ezekiel 9.1, he cried also in mine ears with a loud voice saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. Now, what weapons are these angels carrying? We don't know, but they have some kind of technology that they're going to go forward and destroy the city. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And every man among them was clothed in linen, with linen. All right, that's better. Sorry about that. Okay, so the man clothed in linen by his side stood beside the brazen altar, and the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the rider's inkhorn by his side. Remember, we saw the same man clothed in linen in Daniel standing on the water. The one that was clothed in linen was taken off the cross and wrapped in linen and put into the tomb where he separated the, the head napkin and the, and the linen robe side by side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. So this man with linen, it's the same man we saw in Daniel. It's the same man that's laid in the grave the tomb for three days. It's Jesus coming through and marking everyone. So that's what it means in verse 4. His name will be on their foreheads. So in verse 5, And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. 
That sounds like a long time. So no, there's no sun or moon there. Jesus is the light. He's the light of the world. So in John 8, 12, then Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And that's so cool. That literally will be fulfilled in this new city, in the new Jerusalem. So how long will we reign? And there it is again, forever and ever. It's a really, really, really long time. Verse 6, and he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. And I love that in verse 6, he says, And the Lord God of the holy prophets. And he's just, it's a hearken back to the Old Testament and all those prophets, and John being one of them now, as he wrote the book of Revelation. In verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So the word quickly here is, it's taku. Taku is how you say that in the Greek. And it has the implication that once it starts, it happens very fast. It's the root where we get our word tachometer in our vehicles that measures RPMs. So the tachometer, once it gets going, you know when you step on the gas pedal, it starts going very, very fast. The revolutions ramp up per minute. So it's going. It, what he's talking about here is, behold, I come quickly. Once this starts, it ends very fast, and he returns quickly. Seven years is not that long of a time, if you really think about it. And once it starts, these things start to ramp up in speed and intensity for seven years, and then boom, here comes Jesus and us with him. In Revelation 3.11, he says the same thing to the church, though. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. In other words, what you're doing to serve me right now, hold on to it with all you have, all of your strength, all of your might, all your fervor, all of your endurance. Hold on to it because I'm bringing you home soon. So hold on to that crown. You have a crown for faithful service that you can forfeit and lose should you stray away and fall the way of the enemy. So in verse 7, it says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So the book of Revelation is prophetic. It's a book of prophecy. God declares it that here. He declares it that in the beginning. And what I love is Revelation 19.10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. So if you remember... John is seeing these visions, and he's got the, the white horse. We're coming in, Jesus, and he bows down to worship this angel. And the angel is saying, see that you do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. You carry a testimony of Jesus in your life. You have it. It's yours is different than mine, and mine's different than Randy's, and Randy's is different than someone else's. We all have a different testimony. It's his story written on your heart and in your life to share, to share that people can't argue with your testimony. They can't argue and say, no, it didn't happen. You didn't really do that. They can argue with a lot of things and try to, and try to call you crazy, but what they can't do is argue with your testimony because it's your personal witness of what you've experienced in Jesus. But look what he says, the testimony of Jesus. Worship God 
For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And again, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because it is so important now more than ever. Do not let anyone push you away from studying prophecy. It is the spirit and the testimony of Jesus. It is prophecy is that every prophecy testifies of him somehow. And so when you're studying it, God alone holds that characteristic. He is the one, the only one that can write the end from the beginning and that knows it and then causes it to come to pass. So don't let, don't let people discourage you from studying prophetic books, Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel, Amos, Obadiah, Habakkuk. You just go down the list. There's prophecy. The whole Bible is made up of prophecy. So if you're a student of prophecy, you should be studying the entire word of God, the whole counsel of God, and to see how does it all fit together right now? How does it fit together? And, and hold that up and overlay it on the events that are going on around us in the world and just look at where does this slide together? You know, God declared this to be, what am I seeing around us and how is that coming to pass now? So we need to know prophecy so we can overlay the Bible onto it, onto all of the events around us. And that's why it's so important and so critical so that it, you can share a reason for the hope that you have. In verse 8, and I, and I, John, saw these things and heard them. Now, keep in mind, again, John is taken to these spots. It's not that he's just given a vision of it. He's there. He sees them. He hears them. He travels through time to when Jesus steps foot on the Mount of Olives. You know, how does that work? Well, how did the Lord take him there? It's just incredible. And heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. That's a big no-no. We don't worship angels. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And again, we are not to worship angels. I think that's pretty obvious. But John was so taken aback by what he saw, his, his initial reaction was to fall and to worship. But he was putting that worship in the wrong place. One angel actually did allow himself to be worshipped, and it started the fall of all of humanity. So <laughs> we want to be careful with that. Before the fall, his name was Lucifer, meaning shining one or light bearer. That was his name before the fall, and then God renamed him afterwards. But the good angels in the Bible always correct man when they are trying to worship them. And you notice that a lot. Daniel has that experience, John here. And that's one thing that makes Joshua 5 so amazing and just incredible, is to know this is how we know this is Jesus in Joshua 5. Joshua 5, 13 through 15. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him, with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him. So remember, they are staging the battle at Jericho right now. They've crossed the Jordan. The ones the, the Lord has basically filtered out all the ones that had no faith to enter the promised land. It's Joshua and Caleb. They lead the rest of Israel over the Jordan. They're staging the battle for Jericho, which means the house of the moon god. It's the first battle the Lord wanted to take, take on was the house of the moon god, the crescent moon worship that's on every mosque in the world today. 
and Joshua's sitting there, and he sees a man with a sword drawn. So he goes over to him and says unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he, the man with the sword drawn, said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth. I can imagine when Jesus speaks, you have no other reaction but to fall to the ground. And did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. See, Joshua remembered from the burning bush with Moses that that was holy ground. And you don't take something. What do you do with your shoes? You travel through the world with them, and they pick up stuff. And when you're in the presence of Jesus, you can't carry anything from the world with you. It's just you. And so you're taking off your shoes. It's, a, it's also a worship of, his, of him, the creator, right? You're standing on his creation. In verse 10, and he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. And just one more thing on that, on Joshua 5. When you, when you read that, it should make you realize who really fought the battle at Jericho. It wasn't Joshua. It was Yeshua, which is a variant form of Joshua. Yeshua means Joshua, really. So you have Jesus' name even on the book in the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament book, let's turn to Jesus chapter 5, is maybe what we should start saying from now on. But Jesus led the charge, which is why everything at the battle of Jericho was totally turned upside down. Right, The Levites were not supposed to go into war, and they did. The Ark of the Covenant wasn't supposed to, and it did. They weren't supposed to work on the seventh day, but they did seven times more by walking around the city seven times. And somehow that caused all the walls to fall. You know, Jesus, Jesus was the conquering king that fought that war on the, his, the behalf of his people. So in verse 10, he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Look back up at verse 10. Seal not the sayings of this prophecy. Seal not. That's completely different than the end of the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, God says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now, the fact that we have a full understanding of the book of Daniel is incredible. And it's one sign that we are in the end. We're in the end times. And, you, and you, re, you read that in Daniel 12 and you don't think much about it, but God had that book sealed until very recently. It wasn't until about 120, 150 years ago that people really understood the depth of the book of Daniel. And that's, of course, by the author, the Holy Spirit, giving that understanding and imparting it on his people. But it was sealed until then, and that's incredible that now we can study that book fully and have full understanding of it. Revelation was totally opposite. It was open to anyone who seeked the Holy Spirit for understanding. That book, it's, it's to be opened from the beginning, 
So a rewarder of him, he's bringing his reward, right? He said at the, at the end of that verse. And as a reminder, we looked at this last time, but Hebrews 11.8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And what is so amazing about that is that Abraham roamed the earth looking for the new city, looking for the new Jerusalem. He was looking for that city. Somehow he had knowledge of this promise, this prophetic word from God, that there is at some point going to be a city whose maker was God. And he didn't know if it would happen in his day or someday in the future, but he looked for it. And he was looking for that reward. And so my question and my challenge to all of you is, are you looking for that city whose builder and maker is God, your eternal home? You know, do you believe that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him? He said at the end of that verse, I'm coming and my reward is with me. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Because if you believe that, it will change what you do tomorrow at your, at your job, who you talk to, what you say, all of that. How you live your life, it will look totally different. So get into the word of God. And I've got a couple of things here that I want to talk about. I've got a slide after this, but it's time, it really is time for the church to stand up and take the fight to the enemy. That, the time is now for that to happen. So build on your faith. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So that's what faith is. And it's important in Hebrews 11.6 because without it, it is impossible to please him. It's totally impossible to, to please God unless you have faith. So we better know how to go get it. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And you need to do that every single day. How often? Acts 17, 11, search the scriptures daily. But all of that puts the, the sword of the spirit in your hand. It really is our only offensive weapon. When you really think about it from Ephesians 6, you'll be playing for just a minute, bud. <laughs> Wait one second, or you can play, go ahead. I like it. Here at New City, uh, so the, the, the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, that's what it's all about. It is our only offensive weapon. And what I, what I have loved through the first year of this church is watching how the Lord and the Holy Spirit is uniting families together that really are his remnant to be warriors out in the kingdom and the community for him. And with, I don't even know, again, I've, I think I've said this before, but I don't even know how most of you have heard about the church, and a lot of people are at home right now, but we don't do any advertising. It's all word of mouth. The Holy Spirit is bringing in who he wants here, but warriors together to take the fight to the enemy. Do not take that for granted. We, this is a place where when you look around this room every Sunday, there are families that you can go to war with. There are men and women that you can lean on that when you're, you're in a time of trouble will surround you and pour out into your life to help you. And Judges 7, so you, you all know the story of Gideon and how the Lord whittles down his army to the 300. But I want you to look at this. 
Judges 7, 5 through 7. The Lord really impressed this on me hard yesterday. So he brought down the people unto the water. Remember, this is after several iterations of filtering down people that were not true warriors for him. So he brought down the people into the water. And the Lord said unto, unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink, set him by himself. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300. 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go every man unto his place. So why did the Lord separate those who bowed down upon their knees? And, and this is so true today. This fits for us today. It was to remove the men that would bow down in the war. If you bowed the knee, you weren't fit to go to battle. So just think about that. If you bowed the knee, are you submitting to what the enemy's plan is? Are you submitting to the enemy and not to God? Those that would take the living water by their hand to drink were worthy to fight because you literally grabbed the sword of the Spirit, right? The living water, the Holy Spirit that was pouring out, grabbing it by the hand, and you could take it to the battle, to the battle take it to the enemy. And so... What I love is this is a place where God is, he's separating out a remnant. And do not take that for granted, that we are surrounded in a place that we, we get the esteemed privilege to see what the Lord is doing right now in this day and age. There is, no, there is not a more privileged generation to ever walk the earth than us today because we are the generation that we get to see all these signs are converging together at one time. You know, before for the past 2,000 years, every generation had signs of the end times, but we're the only one that has all of them simultaneously together, which is amazing if you think about God is giving us that privilege. And don't take for granted what we have here in the United States, in the state of Oklahoma, and here at New City Church. And what I wanted to just read this I got an email from our, our dear brothers and sisters in Australia, and they need prayer, guys. So if you, if you think about this, not just the Anderson family, but the entire nation of Australia, you guys keep them in your prayers. They are, they are persecuted. They are on lockdown. They are not allowed to leave. There are uh, wellness camps. If you do leave and break COVID protocols and things, it is... It was founded as a prison state, if, I, if I'm remembering that right, back around World War II, and it's returning to that, it seems like. So the Anderson family, this is what they said. As you can imagine, this isn't our best week, so reading that, you can't imagine it's a huge lift to us. So up above that is what I wrote in my email back to them. The entire Anderson family means so much to New City Church, so we're here to help. They, they are just having a really hard time down there, guys, so keep all of our brothers and sisters in your prayers down there. So reading that, you can't imagine it's a huge lift to us. We feel like we are adrift in this massive sea where the government is so evil and corrupt and so uncaring and so vicious, and there seems no end or way to stop it because everyone is asleep and the churches are complicit. So you can imagine how spiritually devoid this country feels. We feel alone 
and completely surrounded by all this insanity, you know that families are committing suicide, and because the government is ignoring the protests, a woman set fire to herself in her car to try to get her protests noticed. I actually saw a video of that on the news. The insanity and corruption is all around us, and it is pervasive. Then there is this branch that gets extended to you by the Holy Spirit that dwells in the families of the New City Church, and it's something to grasp before you go under, and that's just how we feel. So many in the world have it worse than we do and don't have that branch. So guys, keep them in your prayers. Keep Australia in your prayers. They are in absolutely desperate need for Jesus right now and revival in that country. The enemy is is trying to suppress his word there. He's trying to suppress God's people from being out and living in the freedom of Christ that Jesus designed us and has planned for us to live. And don't think for a second that it can't that same thing can't fall on our shores, but it's on us. It's on us to pray against it. Second Chronicles 7:14, if my people who are called by my name, so it's on us to heal the land and to keep it from going that way. So this is going to be a year, a really exciting year, I think, in in the church and in God's kingdom and serving the Lord. I am excited to to see how the Lord works all of this out in 2022. I think he's got some radical moves up his sleeves, and it's going to be on us to be a part of it, but we've got to step out in faith and take this fight to the enemy. And so if you want to be a part of that, if you're watching this online somewhere around the world, if you want to be a part of God's kingdom and you've not accepted Jesus and you want to make sure your name stays in the book of life, it really is simple. Romans 10:9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's that simple. That's how you get born again. And Isaiah 1:18, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's what Jesus does. Takes all of our mistakes and just makes it clean slate, white as snow. And once you, once you enter in and you're born again, and that weight gets lifted off your neck and your shoulders, I promise you will begin the greatest journey of your life that God in the word, his word calls the sanctification process. And do that, to do that and to do it right, get in the word of God. So all of you, please, t- make it a goal. Make it a challenge to yourself to see, can I read God's word every day this year? You, maybe you don't have to read through the whole thing this calendar year, but just start, just start somewhere. The first time I did it, it took me 18 months to go through it all. So don't put a, a time constraint on yourself. Just do it. Make, it. make it a practice. Make it a habit of giving it that time to him and just watch radical things happen in your lives. I promise you. So with that, I'll close this out in prayer. And please do, please do keep Australia in your prayers. It's, it's heartbreaking what's going on everywhere around the world, um, especially it's starting to show up here in North America. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this time together. God, I pray a special blessing upon the nation of Australia, your men and women, your brother, our brothers and sisters that are down there serving you with everything they have. Lord, they are just looking for a glimmer, a light of hope to break through in that land, to set them free again. So, Lord, we are praying a hedge of protection and security 
around your people in Australia. That, Lord, you would march through that land, that you would right the wrongs, that you would step into the government, that you would raise up leaders within the government that see what's going on and, and will humble themselves before you, God. Just set your people free. Set us free, Lord. We love you. God, I pray that you'd be with every family as we leave this place. And Lord, I pray that you would set on our hearts exactly how you would have us pray for our land as we start 2022 in this new year. Lay on our hearts, 2 Chronicles 7.14, that we are your people. And if we will pray and fast and humble ourselves and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, you hear us from heaven and you will restore our land. So God... We just pray that you would give us discernment and direction and wisdom on how to pray for our land. Give that to us today and let it lay on our hearts throughout every week here forward. Lord, we love you and we praise your name. Be with us as we leave this place in Jesus' name. Amen.